0: Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Double Reel, the monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. It's January 2024 and everything is just like before, only colder. We're here to help you get through it with a big helping of cinematic content for your waiting ears. My name's James Adamson and I'm a film nerd with a geeky love of film and obscure stories from the world of cinema and a lot of opinions. Joining me on the podcast is my co-host, also called James Adamson. Welcome James. Hello, hope you all had a lovely festive period and it's good to be back. We aim to provide you with the podcast equivalent of the monthly film magazines you used to buy in the newsagent, packed with a range of features from the world of film. We divide each monthly issue into four parts, which we release through the month to keep you fed regularly.
1: This is the first part of the episode, Double reel Monthly. We'll look at recent film news, what new releases are heading our way, and review any new films we've seen since the last episode. We'll also discuss how we're getting on with the film-related resolutions we've made for
0: 2024. We'll shortly be releasing our next instalment, the Penalty Shootout Film Quiz. Next week we'll deliver our regular features, Classics and Recommended, Hidden Gem, The One That Got Away and the Remake hate watch.
1: The following week it'll be the Big Conversation where we talk about a topic from the world of film in more detail. We'll tell you more about that later, and there are more details about all of our
0: features on our various social media channels. If you want to check that out or comment on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter on at Double Real Film. We're also an Instagram account called Double Real Podcast and a Double Real Podcast Facebook page for you to follow if you're that way inclined. You can follow us on letterbox.com slash Double Reel, where we list all the films we discussed on the podcast and much more besides. You can also find the Double Real Podcast on the new social media platforms Blue Sky, Threads and Mastodon. And when they standardize on one, we can fuck off Twitter and just pick one. If you like the podcast, we'd also be very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you use, as it really helps us get the word out to the rest of the world.
1: Now it's time to dim the lights and take your seats for our latest Double Reel monthly. Hope you enjoy it.
0: Let's get into it. Double Real Monthly is the first part of the episode and gives you a regular digest of news, new releases, and how we've been fitting in movie watching with our busy, exciting lives. In the next hour and a bit, you'll get a breakdown of what's going on in the world of film this month that will set you up for your own movie watching. As well as that, at the start of each year, we make some film-related New Year's resolutions, so we'll be discussing the goals we've set for ourselves in 2024. As always, our mission is to give you a great discussion about films and film-related stories that will inspire you to escape the confines of the algorithm and watch something you haven't seen or have been meaning to see for a better cinematic experience. Also, just to quickly mention our other podcast, which you might like to check out, The Adamson's Versus is where we step away from the world of film and talk about stories, news, and anything else that's caught our attention. We've been frankly quite busy towards the end of 2023 it's been a little while since we gave you a a new episode but our most recent one the Adamson's versus AI is out there and there's a nice fun back catalog to listen to if you want to get into it with that piece of self-promotion out of the way let's look at some messages we receive from listeners uh Stuart one of our regulars says all the best lads love your pod hope you're doing Hitchcock in the new year Uh, well we'll see uh three musketeers is a new film or three musketeers my lady is a new film we'll be discussing later and rona says i really enjoyed it it was just as good at the first part the two films did the book justice i look forward to the spin-off shows my lady origins and black musketeer which i did not know was happening uh glenn says eva green is the best thing in the film great actress Andrea says, so there's one frustrating thing here that it actually doesn't wrap up the whole story and chose to end on another cliffhanger, which will probably never happen because this two parter has not been financially successful. Sadly, because it's still awesome. Plotting's a bit messier, sure, but it's still wonderfully directed swashbuckling fun, which we frankly get too little of these days. I also noticed a cliffhanger. I was hoping they're still going to make a part three. I'm sorry to hear about the, the box office on that. Uh, We're also going to be discussing uh, the new Zack Snyder sci-fi movie, Rebel Moon Part One. Uh, CC says, enjoyed it. Typical sci-fi type stuff with some great scenes as you'd expect from Snyder. Well paced. Charlie Hunnam's Northern Ireland accent disturbed me though. Quite bizarre. Scott says, everything about it screams jilted by Star Wars from the title of the film through to the obvious knockoff lightsabers. It's not even the first time someone's done the Magnificent Seven in space. That was Battle Beyond the Stars back in the early 80s. Dean says, I thought it was utter shit. The B or C rate cast, (laughs) who normally only have supporting roles in big films, are asked to carry this one and they can't. Story is poor junk. Sorry, the story is pure junk. The whole thing is stolen from every other sci-fi ever made and done badly. That's a pretty... (laughs)
1: Don't mention (laughs) what's (laughs) toxic. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um without giving away too much uh the new film for my uh, resolution and project for 2024 the january installment is coda uh which i put up on the socials and paul says i heard it was good but never got around to seeing it not everyone has apple tv so it'll be less widely seen than a lot of oscar-winning films uh brian has seen it and says excellent movie best i've seen in a long time and robert says it does tick all the boxes you normally have for awards bait but it is a nice little film uh thanks as always for your messengers it's uh, great to hear from you uh now on with the pod so uh james uh first thing we always do is the news uh what news has caught your eye lately when we're a little bit far away from the um the uh, publishing date just to fit into the schedule so there'll be nothing up to the minute but what recent news uh what recent news have you seen it would have to be the globes wouldn't it yeah golden globe uh, results came out uh on the it was like the seventh oh, night of the seventh into yeah, into ago, into yeah. into, the, into the eighth. Um, yeah, what did you think?
1: I mean, I'm happy, but I'm also surprised at um not Barbie's failures, just the kind of lack of appreciation for Barbie. I suppose he got that token box office achievement
0: award, and then the host was an absolute fucking clown. I don't know if you saw any of that. He's. He I've seen a few bits, he absolutely died on his ass. It feels oh, like it feels like he was trying to do the Ricky Gervais roast thing and it's really not his really not his style. It it felt like someone wearing someone else's clothes, really.
1: But yeah, I was very happy for Oppenheimer and uh, Chris Panol and Killian Murphy and Ludwig Garanson and I imagine it'll win a couple more awards for I suppose
0: editing, maybe not visual effects. Um Was it the case yeah. that um yeah, it was it was actually I thought it was going to win. Barbie was going to win Best Musical or uh, or Comedy, which is a stupid genre. It's like Best Horror or Western. I make that joke every year. Um, but poor things for was in that category. And Horgios Lanthimos is always uh, a bit of a darling. I mean, the Globes are a, a joke, really. It's they they they, they
1: it's a precursor, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it's kind of the Globes announced that the. Um, uh, that the award season is, is fully underway or the Hollywood awards season's fully underway is really what it is. And usually I get the feeling that the Globe um, voters are trying to predict what the Oscars will be, um, but it, it doesn't always follow. Um, it's, uh, yeah, but I mean, Oppenheimer did very, Oppen- Oppenheimer won five awards on the night, Best Drama, Best Director, Best Actor in a Drama for for Killian Murphy, um, Best Score and Robert Downey Jr. got Best Supporting Actor. The The Globes don't, Really, do any technical awards? They don't do cinematography, editing, visual effects. I imagine cinematography and editing there are going to be at least nominations for Oppenheimer. There, um, hard to say, really. I mean, Lily Gladstone won Best Actress in a Drama, which I guess makes her the favourite for for the Oscars. Um, I mean, I, I thought Barbie was was ex, uh, I thought Margot Robbie was excellent in Barbie. I just wonder if the Oscars are going to give that much credence to a film that's quite upbeat compared to a a much more sort of deep and dark tragic film like killers of the flower moon. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought the box office achievement award was pretty stupid. I mean, box office load of shit. box office achievement is literally its own reward. I mean, the reward for money. the the reward for a box office achievement is a really good showing at the box office, and everyone's really happy that Barbie did that well. Do you know what I mean? But like, fuck off.
1: Well, um, then you made money, my go. Uh, yeah,
0: fucking load of shit. Yeah so but it, it does I mean the by the time this uh, this episode actually goes out on the 25th of Jan the Oscar nominations will have been announced I expect Oppenheimer to be a bit prominent in that Killers of the Flower Moon I guess what the Golden Globes has done is cast a little bit of doubt on how much recognition Barbie's going to get um the you know I feel like best adapted screenplay is going to come down and as a straight shoot between Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan for like Oppenheimer. We'll just see. Again, I get the I get the feeling that we we know what sort of films the Oscars reward more than others. Do you know what I mean in terms of seriousness of tone kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I, th- I also think that's probably going to go to Oppenheimer, isn't it? Um,
0: I look it's Oppenheimer is an incredible achievement as a, uh, a, a, as a screenplay. I mean, our big conversation, uh, spoiler alert for, uh, for our, uh, for our fans, uh, is going to be the third, uh, third annual Double Reel Awards. So we'll be actually making our awards before the, uh, uh, you know, before the Oscars do. Uh not that everyone pays as much attention. You know, the Oscars does have a lot more PR, bigger PR budget than we have. But uh yeah, I mean we'll see what we think of like scripts and and, and you know acting and and you know best film by then. Um yeah, that's it for the globes. It means award season has started really. That's the news, isn't it? The the race starts here. Yeah. Um other news uh, obviously Tom Wilkinson uh, passed away I mean that's been a that's been a couple of weeks since that news but I think he's probably the, one of the most prominent people who's passed away and I think it was a little bit of a shock I mean I think he's he came to prominence relatively late he was in his like mid to late f- maybe even 50 actually before he he really sort of um hit the big time with things like The Full Monty and then the and then the the Americans got hold of him you know and the Americans kind of like look through the roster of English actors and go, Oh, I want that one. And he was one of the people that they grabbed and absolutely took to their hearts. And he's been brilliant in a number of things. Uh, I think if he was, he was in his early to mid seventies. It does feel like a little bit of a, you know, a, a loss. Nowadays, in that way. Yeah. Like it's a bit, yeah. You expect, you, you know, it, it, it feels, it feels a minimum of 10 years short these days with our expectations. And I mean, he's, he's, He's one of those people who's actually, you know, he's been in Christopher Nolan. He was absolutely superb in Michael Clayton, which we did on the pod. He's he, he's one of those absolutely reliable. I put him in the same bracket as someone like Jim Broadbent, where you just sort of know, there you go, safe pair of hands. He's in it. You're going to get an absolute top quality performance every time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously sadly missed with an, with an excellent filmography behind him.
1: Uh, yeah. I also wanted to say that, um, what was her name, from Mary Poppins, Glynis...
0: Glynis Johns.
1: Glynis Johns, not Glynis Moon. Who's Glynis Moon? I have no idea. Um,
0: she passed away at the age of a hundred and one, didn't she? Um, I, you know what? I've completely missed it. I thought the announcement was that she's just had her hundredth birthday, or maybe she. No, she's <laughs> unless there's
1: a Mandela effect going on here.
0: Oh uh, yes, sorry. Yeah, do apologise. I'm having my own personal Mandela effect. She, she passed away at, on the fourth of January, aged, uh, aged one hundred. Yeah, so
1: that's a fair, <laughs> I Yeah,
0: she's she's done well. I mean, she obviously Mary Poppins is hugely famous, and she had like uh, you know stage and screen. She was in sixty films. You know, she was she won a Tony Award. Uh, she was nominated for Oscars and Golden Globes and everything. So yeah, I mean, she's an absolute um, stalwart, isn't she? And uh, yeah, look, I think most people would like to get to a hundred with a shitload of awards on the uh, on the on the, the mantelpiece. So fair play, Linus Jones. I mean, I mean, you've seen Mary Poppins. I don't know how many things of hers you've seen. Yeah, Harry.
1: nothing else. I just, I think it's it's when someone from like that era of Hollywood and cinema passes away. It's kind of like a it's becoming rarer and rarer now, which is sad. Yeah, not in a not in a like you want to hear about people passing away, but it's like you know, like when the 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 last soldier from World War One passed away, that kind of thing. It's that kind of. We're we'll getting to that stage now where like yeah. making films in the sixties are no longer going to be with us, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean she she acted less frequently on screen after about sort of nineteen sort of seventy, but she was on the stage. She could sing, so she's sort of done all sorts. Um, yeah, so tr- tr- tremendous career, tremendous career by anyone's standards. Um, other news. Um, wish kind of disney's last big sort of shot at a sort of an animated film success in 2023 has absolutely died on its ass at the box office
1: i didn't even bother i saw that it was coming out and thought i don't care that 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 was it i thought "I, i don't give a shit and that that's a shame and it's the same with marvel films it's anything that's owned by disney i just don't really seem to give a shit about it.
0: Anyway. I, I mean they are they are just going to have to get over that sort of skepticism. And the problem is is that it, i saw the trailer and i thought you know what that is competently made it's all the sort of general stuff but it just wasn't enough to get everyone anyone off their ass really. Um, it needed to make about 460 million dollars to break even because disney's spending about cuz they man. spend like they spend 200 million dollars on these films now right so once you get taken the fact that a lot of the international box office they only get a portion of that income because they got to pay local distributors and stuff, and the you know the promotion and everything else, you've got at least double, you know, two and a half times your money really to make your money back, and it's just cracked two hundred million, so it's a massive flop. Um, and and if you if you take that calculation, because you know I did a spreadsheet, but you know bought, <laughs> quiet quiet time in the holidays, did a couple of spreadsheets. If you if you assume a film, especially like a big budget film, has to make two and a half times its budget these days to break even, the combined Disney releases of twenty twenty three, so all their animations, their Marvels, Indiana Jones, everything that under the Disney banner, they lost a combined one point three billion dollars last year. Christ, um, only really Guardians was a was a decent hit. You know that was that was down a little bit on the last Guardians film, but I think the box office is generally down. So that film did quite well. I think. I think Elemental's more or less broke even just about and everything else lost oh goodness, money. It was fucking straight. And everything else lost money. And, you know, it's... Um this has been coming because I think I think we talked about it before. Disney just I think Disney spent the last couple of years thinking that all they had to do was show up and they would make a ton of money, and it's much tougher now, and and they're not doing it as well. But interestingly, I did another comparison. Um, you know, Illumination, the animation company that does um, you know Minions Speaking and all that sort of thing. Yeah, now that's only competing with a part of Disney because it doesn't do superhero movies or anything like that. But it's 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 their big competitor in an animation, right? Um, but since their first animated feature came out in 2010, they have done better at the box office at Disney pretty much every time, and their films cost half as much to make. Right. So both Disney Animation and Pixar, their films cost twice as much money as Illumination and don't make as much money.
1: So, but what I will say about that is, right, now, okay, Disney have you know made an arse of it there, but I would much rather hear Disney try to make a film like Elemental, which I didn't like. I thought it was rubbish and turned it off after about 40 minutes. But I would rather they tried that as opposed to, you know, Despicable Me Five, and a seventh Minions film. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I get that the Illumination have obviously cracked it with their irritating little fucking Twinkies, but that that, that is the same film over and over again. They're just,
0: they're yeah, that 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 is the same over and over, over, and over again, again. But they're also the people responsible for the Super Mario Brothers film last year.
1: That was very good. But that, again, yeah, that's I, nothing that that probably would have made a billion dollars even if it was shit. It wasn't shit, and that's because Illumination obviously know what they're doing. But that film was going to make a billion dollars because it's that film would have made probably about three hundred million in Japan alone just because it's Super Mario.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's fair to say that when you look at their list of films, Illumination could probably afford to start playing it a bit less safe now. I mean, they've done they've done Despicable Me to death. The Secret Life of Pets have done a couple of. It's great. I think they've shown that with Super Mario Brothers they are capable of good stuff and maybe now that they've kind of elbowed their way to the top, I think the expectations of them should be a bit higher now, right? Speaking of um Super Mario Brothers movie, it's an absolute
1: disgrace that it didn't win Best Song of the Globes and a better win for the fucking Oscars.
0: <laughs> oh the um oh what's it Peaches, Peaches, Peaches. peaches, peaches, peaches. peaches, peaches. That would
1: imagine they got Jack Black to perform that first as <laughs> Bowser at the ceremony.
0: Love it, absolutely love uh, it. Um, yeah, if we're going to talk about Box Office briefly, uh, by the way, I remember you went to see the, the Hunger Games prequel, uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, just before. Yes. So that's basically done all right at the Box Office.
1: Uh, yeah, I watched it again um, when it was on release. Um and we can talk about that later on when we talk about the films we've watched. But I've got a little bit of an updated review of it. So. Sure,
0: but I mean, it's. Um, I think it, it, it had a bit of a weak opening. Everyone thought, "Oh shit, Hunger Games prequels flopped." But it it cost a hundred million to make, and it's made more than three hundred million, which I think in these sort of times, I think counts as a success. Same with Wonka. Wonka's done quite well, so there are people doing well out there. So Disney needs to buck its ideas up, basically. Yeah. Uh, any other news caught your eye? Uh,
1: not really. There's a few actors on the uh, Jeffrey Epstein list, but
0: yeah, that that Epstein stuff. Well, that that's one of those I'm things. Sure. That's one of those things that's just gonna kind of. Uh, it's gonna take a while for all of that to really shake out. Whether that's Jeffrey Epstein might have met someone at a party and put their name in his little black book because he liked to like attach himself to famous people. I think there's there's more to all of these things that we're only going to find out over time. I think.
1: Yeah, if they've done anything bad, then they deserve prosecution. But Yeah, uh,
0: there's, a, there's a lot of wait and see, I think.
1: It's not surprising that people in Hollywood are bad people and they're associated with other bad people.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the usual stuff about power and money, isn't it? Okay, after the news, we discuss new releases, films that are coming up soon. Um, we're fo- going to focus mainly on films that are going to be released between the 25th of January and the 25th of February, which is sort of when this uh, when this episode comes out and before the next Double Room Monthly comes out. Uh, any new films uh, caught your attention, mate, that you're interested in seeing? Um, Not
1: really, no, I feel like the, the kind of the big Oscar bait films have kind of just been and gone because of like deadlines and stuff like that so i've not actually noticed anything that i've gone i want
0: to see yeah you t- you tend really to wish. get yeah you tend to get this, this sort of glut of them because they rush the the last sort of oscar films out in december because they want them to be uh, released in time and then fresh in the minds of the people who um who are going to vote and then they all get released like a week or two later in january um and that's yeah, so poor things is is already out by the time this comes out. A couple of things are already out. If we go from the twenty fifth, nothing really coming out on the twenty fifth. There's a there's a Bollywood film called Fighter, which I don't know anything about. The Color Purple comes out in January the twenty sixth. The musical. Fuck off, man. I I just I. I I just don't see why you would do a musical of something as dark uh, as that story. I think uh, another version of the color purple, because you know, maybe Spielberg in his sort of more kind of innocent upbeat mode, maybe, you know, didn't kind of get all the way down into it. There were criticisms of his, of his adaptation, but a musical version, you know, it's like, Hey, abuse and racism. And then jazz hands. I don't get it. It's not, not for me at all. Um, there's a film out called All of Us Strangers, which I kind of thought was already out. It's like got Andrew Scott, Scott and Paul Mescal. It's about a bit of a strange love triangle. It's got Jamie Bell in supporting role as well. I think maybe I saw that discussed on a podcast, maybe when it was at festivals. Um, it's a bit of an indie drama. But it's good cast. Um, February the second, Migration comes out. That's the new, um, funny enough, the new animated film from. Uh, yeah, it's about wildfowl sort of literally migrating, so we'll see what that's like. It's another one coming out on February the second. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's called Argyle. Have you have you seen this? I have seen that and I
1: I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like Matthew Vaughan is becoming a little bit like Guy Ritchie. hmm Um I think I like Henry Cavill and I've I've liked pretty much all of Matthew Vaughan's stuff. I'm just I'm not too sure about
0: Jua Lipa as the leading lady personally um look there's always a risk when someone comes from like look there's people who've come from that exact background who've absolutely done brilliantly in uh when they've turned to to acting and then there's Beyonce who was fine but it's no surprise that it shouldn't carry yeah, on with it right
1: I, I probably will watch it when it's just you know on you know telly and I've got a spare couple I was and I'm not going to write the film up just because they've got you know a pop star in it but do you know what I mean about the trailer? How it does feel like a Guy Ritchie film? Yeah,
0: so it's potentially interesting, right? Because the idea is that it's our uh, girl is a fictional spy, um, but then a real life spy organization like need the the woman who's written it because everything that's in her book seems to be coming true, and it's like there's a, there's not there's, there's a way to do that well, but it's also been done. Do you know what I mean? You've had you've had I mean, *Romancing the Stone* is basically. Uh, writer of stories uh lives out the stories that she writes in real life. So it's been done. The question is is how well, you know, is it gonna go? Yeah, the uh, Emma Thompson film of Will Fair or Strange of Infection, that's basically that thing, isn't it? Again, terrific so, so it's it's been done before. There's no reason not to do it again. But look, I think it, it it's all gonna come down to whether Matthew uh Vaughn has, has has kind of got it got his balance right. And who's writing it? It it's not it's not Jane Watts name this time, Jonathan Ross's wife. So there'll probably be no inappropriate anal sex jokes. Um, we'll just have to see how it goes. Maybe Jonathan Ross is it.
1: <laughs> me- talking about Andrew Sachs's daughter, the cunt.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see with Argyle. Um, what else is going on here? Um, American fiction was going to be out on like in January, but it's actually been pushed back now to F- February the 2nd. You described American fiction to me last month. I definitely want to go and see that. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. The Zone of Interest is out, which is, that might be a tough watch. That's about the people who live near Auschwitz and whether how much they really knew. That's kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's getting great reviews. I'm not sure. It just might be too much of a tough watch. It's like, it's one of those things that you, really should watch to, to to remind yourself, you know, but it might it might be a bit too tough. There's a film called The Iron Claw with Zac Efron coming out, which is a drama about wrestling, which is getting spoke, good reviews. spoke about that last one. Yeah, I think some of the films that we thought were going to be coming out in January have been pushed back a little bit. That's all I can kind about of...
1: In America kind of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Madame Webb is getting, looked by the looks of it, a cinema release on February the 16th. I always liked Spider-Woman. I always thought Spider-Woman was like a really interesting like flip side to the Spider-Man character. So we'll see if that's any good. It's just, it's another Marvel. It's like my, the MCU has just not done a very good job in a long time. So we'll just have to see how that one actually pans out. Um, but that's really it. It's a bit quiet. It's a bit quiet between now and the end of Feb. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it. Yeah. I, I don't know if maybe the the kind of all the all the films that were delayed because of COVID are now caught up with us. It. Because you think about it, um, uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning shouldn't have come out last year. It should have come out like the, at least the like year before, or even the year before that. So maybe we're we'll just back down to like a normal number of films coming out. We need to get used to it. Yeah, even spoiled. Well, I would say spoiled, but a lot of the films have been coming out and shit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Look, maybe 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 quality over quantity. Let's hope that that's what we get in twenty twenty four. All right. Any other new releases that you're you're interested in, mate? Or have we, uh, uh, we covered that? that us. Right, we are. Now we move to the part where we talk about what new films we've watched since the last time we sat down to do a double reel monthly. Uh, sometimes it's brand new releases, sometimes it's relatively recent films, or anything else we've done that's notable. Uh, James, what what new films have you watched lately, or, or notable films have you watched lately?
1: So I watched the new Indiana Jones. That's mm-hmm. the first one, um, it was on Disney Plus, and I thought, uh, "Well, I've seen all the other ones." Um,
0: I, I caught up with that over Christmas as well. Actually, exactly the same yeah. way, Disney Plus.
1: What, did, what What did you think? So it's it is shit. Um, I don't think it. I don't think it works having that dynamic of um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. As much as I find her great in Fleabag, I just I don't. She kind of sticks out in this film.
0: I have to say, I like Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think she's a terrific writer. I thought she's she's been very good in the other things that she's been in. I've never looked at her and said, "Oh, I bet she'd be brilliant in an action movie." Because not not it's like Richard E. Grant. I wouldn't expect to see Richard E. Grant hanging off the side of a train in an action sequence either. I mean, some people just don't give off that vibe, do they?
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's like the action movie. You know, I mean, like Indiana Mm -hmm. Jones is up there as like, you know. Mm-hmm. If people to say name the best action franchises of all time they're going to say Mission Impossible and then they're probably going to say Indiana Jones quite quickly after that, do you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean? Yeah. So um yeah. However, I quite enjoyed the idea of the story. Um yeah, I I a agree. Lot better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <sighs> yeah. So Indiana Jones has always been about that kind of supernatural relic. Mm-hmm. Seeing, you know, Trying to be realistic in terms of, you know, archaeological finds and then having that kind of element of the supernatural without going a bit mm-hmm. too berserk. So you've got the um The Last Crusade where they go for the the holy grail mm-hmm. and the, the the Nazis drink it and uh, they they, you know, die, that kind of thing, and then mm-hmm. the uh, what's the relic we look for in Raiders of the Lost Ark? The Ark of the Covenant.
0: Yeah. Yep. That
1: makes sense. And that's a, a bit of a spooky thing, and that kills all the Nazis again. Um, but Temple of Doom, yeah, nobody gives a shit about the Temple of Doom. Like I like the Temple of Doom, but nobody—I
0: don't <coughs> think anyone can really name the relic in that. It's—it's it's the I don't—it's got the, they're called the Stones of something or other, Sankra so, or something like that.
1: And
0: <laughs> you see, I—I I, I tell you. I'll tell you why Raiders of the Lost Ark works better than Temple of Doom. Apart from the fact that I think they got the, the the tone of Temple of Doom wrong. It's like there's there's times when it's too dark, and there's times when it's too silly and childish. I'm not into, like, cute kid sidekicks as much as I like Kehu Kwan. No. He's, good, he's good fun in the Goonies and everything. Um, it's He falls out of a plane and finds himself in India, like, looking for those stones. And it's like, no, what you want is you want him to find out at the beginning, like he does at Raiders, There's this thing that we might have found, like the Holy Grail in the Last Crusade. There's this thing that they might have found. We need you to go and look at it before such and such bad guys get it. And then at the beginning, he says, well, that's an important relic. It just belongs in a museum. And then as you you go along, you start to go, oh, this might have some power. This might have some power. This might have some power. So Templin doesn't work because he just accidentally finds himself in a village that's got some missing stones. And it's like, are these notable? Uh, is this a relic that people have cared about for all these years? I mean, by all means, go to India and search for some powerful relic. But let's get some build-up. Let's have the bit where he draws something on a blackboard that tells you why it's something that he should spend his life looking for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, to get back to Dial of Destiny. You know, sorry, sorry. Time, so, yeah. So. Um, what I didn't like about the King of the World Scholar was just it was just... Aliens. That It that, that wasn't even like a,
1: an important it, relic that anyone gave a shit about. It was just...
0: And, and you find out at the right at the very end of the film that that's what you've been watching. It's like, that's what we've been waiting so for it, all this time? A, yeah, It wasn't a mind control skull thing then. It was just aliens. yeah, right, Yeah, okay. bullshit, yeah. Didn't work.
1: Um, now, the Dial of Destiny, I quite liked... Oh, sorry, I'll start again. The microphone fell over. The Dial of Destiny, I quite liked the idea of them trying to find Archimedes's dial and... Mm-hmm. I liked that. I actually didn't mind the ending where, spoiler, they find the, the dial. The Nazis have been looking for the dial 20 years in the future, and it's to take them you know back in time. They're trying to use it to go back to the Reich, but they get the coordinates wrong, and they end up going back to the, the siege of Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And I really liked all that. I actually thought that was a really cool, kind of interesting way to take it. I didn't necessarily hate it. Um, it was just kind of everything in between. Um, that was a bit, a bit weak. But it, for me, I enjoyed it much more than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Probably liked it on a par with ones like The Last Crusade and um, The Temple. Temple of Doom. will always have a soft spot in my heart, but Raiders is obviously the best one. But I think the problem was is that it wasn't as slick as The Last Crusade, and I don't think the jokes and the fun of Temple of Doom landed mm-hmm. the same way. Um, and it's a shame because it was a perfectly reasonable film. I think if we didn't have Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it would have been looked on a little bit more favourably by critics and mm-hmm. people that went to see it. Um, But yeah, it finally yeah. put on for a couple of hours. It had a, a, it had a nice couple of moments. It added to Indiana Jones' character, it references uh, the absence of Shia LaBeouf, not Literally doesn't see why Shia LaBeouf in this film. Are why, but why his character? Life. Why his character not in yeah, it? Yeah, but that would have been funny if they used Archimedes as <laughs> to go forward into the future and see all Shia LaBeouf's. A prick. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, it, it, it was fine. Um, would I have been happy if I'd seen that in the cinema? Maybe not. Um, but yeah, I mean, not, it, not terrible is what I would say. Yeah, I, I can watched Raiders after it and mm-hmm. thought. The same kind of tones there, you know, like the same idea of a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a guy going after uh, old relics was yeah. Does there's, there's a lot of, there's a bit of deaging in it, and it doesn't look the worst, which is fair play because deaging usually looks
0: terrible. I, I think to, to de-age him to ha- for, for for like an opening scene set back in World War Two, which sets up the story, I thought that was perfectly fine. I think it hasn't helped them though that this film cost. Over three hundred million dollars to make because they've never made anything like their money back on the movie, um, which yeah. is unfortunate. I, mean, look, I, I think it's of of the films that Disney released last year. I thought it was a little bit unlucky to have been as big a flop as it was because I didn't think it was all that bad. Um, I thought it didn't really it didn't really click with Phoebe Waller Bridge. I don't know if it's the way they wrote the character. I don't know if it's because she's not really action franchise material I quite like the idea of the character I remember thinking when you said you sort of mentioned to me that you'd seen it and you thought it was it wasn't that bad I remember thinking maybe this story is what they should have done instead of Crystal Skull back then because all they'd have had to do was like shift the years around a little bit back then and Indiana Jones would be roughly the age a guy is when he's meant to be retiring right yeah from his job and he would still be a little bit more okay in the action. They could still do the whole bit about everyone cares about the space age now, not about archaeology, because it's the late 50s or early 60s or whatever. They could easily have done the main story and I wonder if maybe they'd done that story back then. They could have even have tried for like uh, his his son is in the film and maybe even the, the daughter of his old friend is in the film and they have a bit of like chemistry. I don't think Karen, as much as I think Caroline was fantastic in the first Raiders film, I don't think it helped that much to drag her along in Crystal Skull. So I just remember thinking, watch Star of Destiny. It's okay. It's certainly not the worst thing like Disney released last year. I I do kind of feel myself thinking this could have been a cracking fourth installment if they'd done it back then instead of Crystal Skull, actually thinking about it. But it look, it was fine. Same, same as me. It it passed a bit of time. Anything else? Anything else new you watched? Um, I
1: think I mentioned in the last one that I watched Fast X, which was terrible.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah.
1: Um... Why do not you mention a release? And I'll just double check my. Um, I'll talk about the yeah. Hunger Games again after you've spoken about uh, a yeah. couple of your releases. All right, I
0: caught up with that. I caught up with Elemental again because it's now on Disney Plus, and we were looking at it. And I was trying to sort of say, look, can I try and get some of the the big films that come out in twenty twenty three watch so I can just say I've, you know, watched them and know what I think of them. Um, for the same reason, I watched. Um, uh, Uh, Super Mario Brothers because that's available to watch on telly now and I thought that was really really good I thought that was exactly what you want from an animated uh uh, an animated film I think it's um uh the uh, the the other kind of animated films that I've liked this year I mean I liked Across the Spider-Verse but that's kind of its own thing do you know what I mean it's not it's not like uh, it's a little bit off to the side, a little bit from your typical big animated movies that come out. And when I remember when we did our big conversation about animation, there's a certain kind of big animated movie where you like to see, you can take your kids to see it and it'll be great fun, but the adults can appreciate the story as well. You're looking for that from like your Disney or maybe even your Illumination or your Dreamworks. And, and I thought, um, uh, Super Mario Brothers did that exact job. It takes a story that everyone, won- you know, that, that people have heard of, Super Mario Brothers, and it does a really nice. I thought it did a really nice job of that whole thing. I think people who like the original would like it. It was a fun, lively story. It was well done. It was funny along the way. I thought that really shows Disney what they should be doing with their animated films. Super Mario Brothers is a good all-round take everybody to see it kind of movie that you're expecting from your animated films. I thought that was really decent. Um, I watched Elemental, and that was a bit there. I remember watching Elemental and going, they've just not. I remember I remember listening to an interview with the guy who directed the film. He's got a lot of personal kind of. Uh, attachment to parts of the story like the father in 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 the story reminds him of his own father who was a, an immigrant who built, built his own business and worked really hard to give him his opportunities I understand why he feels strongly about those parts of the story but it's a city where fire water earth and air characters all live together it just doesn't work it just it but the basic idea doesn't work because you know uh, and it also these things have been done before. Like, essentially, Zootropolis is a big city where lots of different kind of beings live, and they're very different, and they got to, to to get on. And I think that's a much better idea of here's a big city where different stuff is going on, kind of thing. And if I'm completely honest, if you want to see a, an actually quite emotionally resonant, a sort of resonant story of like a, a father to a main character who's done that whole thing built, built the business up from nothing, and and all of that, James Hong in Kung Fu Panda, that's where you get that. You know, just done better. So it's it does stuff that's been done better in other films and the central idea just doesn't work. So there eh, Just in one ear out the other, that one. Um, did that give you a bit more time to to dredge up the ones you've done? Yeah,
1: so there's a couple that I just want to briefly talk about, I don't want to give too much time to. Um I watched The Last kingdom Seven Kings Must Die, which is basically the film that they made after the series just to kinda of wrap it all up. Yeah. That was okay. Um if you like The Last Kingdom, you'll like the film. Um and I like The Last Kingdom, so it was it was fine. It was very much a kind of Netflix movie, which is a weird thing to say because it's, it's not a TV movie, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched, for the first time, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Is that the first time you've ever seen that? Yeah, didn't find it funny at all. Yeah, It's not aged well. It's just not good. Um, yeah, wasn't a fan. There's nothing special about it.
0: Um, I remember going to see it at the cinema and I remember laughing at bits and and not laughing at others. And I think the main challenge is that um, Days of Thunder is much funnier, <laughs> even if it's not intentional, that it's clearly like a rip-off of. And there's there's some kind of odd like shifts in tone. I mean, uh, Sacha Baron Cohen feels like he's acting in a completely different film to Will Ferrell. And all the stuff with his dad is kind of... Uh, is that how serious are we meant to be taking this? It's like, it just feels a little bit like stitched together from from spare parts, that film. Yeah. We just... I'm surprised you've got this far into your life without seeing it though, because it's like, a, it's everywhere, that movie.
1: Will Ferrell's a weird one for me. They're some of the films that I just know I'm not going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So for example, Semi-Pro, I know I've seen that a couple of times, but I know if I was to watch it now, last time I saw it was probably about 13 years ago. If I was to watch it now, I'd go, I'm probably not going to enjoy that. But then Blades of Glory, I think if I hadn't seen it, I would know that I'd probably enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? And Anchorman, I really enjoyed. Um Elf, obviously, but there's films like that Eurovision one he did with Rachel McAdams, I know I'm not going to enjoy that, so I am not going to watch it. You
0: know yeah, I mean? yeah, it's it's all part of that like kind of six-word movie pitch, isn't it? Will Ferrell as a figure skater, Will Ferrell as a NASCAR driver, Will Ferrell as a basketball player. You know, you know what you're getting, and you're right. If you don't think you're going to like it, you probably won't, because it's not like there's any surprises in, in that kind of pitch of the movie, is there?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, didn't think that was any good. Uh, but now I want to talk about the Ballads of, Snong, Snong, Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes again.
0: You, you watched uh, it again, again, yeah?
1: Yeah, I watched it again because um, me and my partner both really enjoyed it. And, see, on a second viewing, it's... It's a little, I understand the critics a little bit more. Really? So, I don't know if it was the case of not seeing it on, you know, in a cinema, but I totally get why everyone didn't enjoy it as much. So, um, the main criticisms is that there's a lot of singing and it's quite cringy. And I think even at the time, I realized that that was a bit cringy, the whole. There's lots of singing and stuff like that, and sometimes the singing feels like it—it's a bit forced. Now, I did a little bit of digging into that, and the problem with that is that they were very true to the book. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was a case of like you know how E. L. James dug her heels in with uh, mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey, and that just made those films.
0: You've got you've got to do this because that's what I wrote, kind of thing.
1: Basically, yeah, basically that's just like the head honcho telling you, do it my way or the highway. Yeah, I don't know if they did that out of choice. Or Suzanne Collins made them, but the singing in it is a little. It, it, I can see why it would be off-putting for some people. If you can get over that, everything I said about the film still stands in terms of the story and the the origins of it all. Uh, yeah, you found it quite interesting
0: to see like where Snow came from and everything, didn't you?
1: Yeah, um, and it's it's got a good cast. Uh, obviously, you know, sort of relative newbies and Tom Blythe. Playing Coralina Snow and uh, Rachel Ziegler, from yeah, West Side Story, yeah, and
0: Andres Rivera from West Side Story, um, but so so they've got people who are singers, right? So they probably went, oh yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll let them sing, kind of thing, right? To be fair, it's only Rachel Ziegler that really does any singing in it. Um, so, so does she like? Do they just go, oh, sing us a song? And they're all sitting around while the character sings them a song, and then they get on with the movie when she's finished singing.
1: So basically, she is picked. Um, To in the reaping to be in the 10th Hunger Games and Coralina Snow is her mentor. And at her, you know, when they announce, you know, she's been picked, she just breaks into a song. She's part of like a kind of, it's sort of meant to be like a traveling gypsy group. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of vibe you get and they go around performing to make, you know, make money. Um, And she starts singing then and becomes wildly popular. And um, it's all about how Coralina Snow uses that and her kind of popularity to what he's trying to do is he's trying to win a scholarship to the university and the prize is awarded to the person that makes the best uh, or mentors their um tribute to yeah. um, to be the most entertaining, really. So yeah. You know, kind of same themes from the uh from the first films. Um yeah. But she she just sings because that's her character and I think that's why it feels a little bit forced. Yeah. So she, um, She's obviously got a very good voice. She's obviously a tremendous singer. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably see more films of her. Yeah, she's from Broadway and stuff, isn't she? I mean, she's like a I proper so. singer,
0: isn't she? Yeah.
1: She, she she is quite young. I didn't realize that she's only 22, 23. Yeah. Um, but that, that it does feel like it's like, oh, you can sing. You were in West Side Story. Why don't you give us a song then? Um, Even though that's sort of like what our character's like in the books.
0: Um, yeah.
1: So I can see why that would be off-putting, but the rest of it is still, you know, still interesting. Um, that that kind of thing. And other than that, that, that would only really be my proper criticism of the film is that watching it again, I did think see maybe the first time around you kind of put up with the singing because of the
0: first time you've seen it, but see when yeah. I watched it again I was like, oh for fuck's sake, this singing can you know could maybe do one. Well it can really slow the film down, can't they? I mean I I, I think it for example, I think it's a good job Peter Jackson cut most of the singing out of Lord of the Rings. Because if you read that book you meet because like Tolkien was like an anthropologist at Oxford You know, and studied ancient Celtic cultures and stuff like that. He would write about, oh, these people live in this village and they do this and they ride horses like this and say, and these are the songs they sing. And you get three pages of like Tolkien song lyrics. And like Jackson went, no. (laughs) Um, But if he'd if he felt like he had to kind of like do the fan service and put everything from the from the book in the film, you'd have had people stopping to sing songs so often. You just think, God, these films are long enough already, man.
1: Yeah, Um, but. I would, if anyone you know enjoyed the kind of Hunger Games, I think it's got a better story than most of the Hunger Games films. Mm-hmm. I think the initial the initial film's good for introducing the setup, and Catching Fire is good because it sort of kickstarts the, mm-hmm. the rest of the plot into motion. But the kind of just the the absurdity of it all it explains the origins of the Hunger Games. It explains um, a little bit about what happens in you know the 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 war that. Mm-hmm. made them create the hunger games it's it's interesting uh, if you're into that kind of thing and you enjoyed those films if it's not your thing then you're absolutely going to mm-hmm. fucking hate it you're going to despise it um for everything that it is and it stands for but yeah the thing just a little disclaimer because i was waxing lyrical about it in the last
0: one in the yeah, yeah no and look it's yeah. no it's it's interesting that you gave it a, gave it a rewatch and kind of you know thought it because that happened both ways right you can watch a film a second time and like it better um, and see something you didn't originally see that enhances it. So yeah, it's interesting. Thank you for that, mate. Um, I, I remember one of our one of our big conversations in 2023 was pitch me a blockbuster. And One of the things you said was, try and get your film to cost $100 million or less so that there's a good chance that it will make, you know, what it makes at the box office will constitute a profit and we can keep doing it. So even if it has flaws, it did do its job as a movie. It made its money back. I don't know if it's enough for them to kind of completely relaunch the franchise. Obviously, there continues to be a demand for that sort of young adult fiction adaptation type movie, so I can see why they wanted to do it, and it did better than some other big films last year. You know, when you when you sort of take everything into account. So I don't know. I'm not. Sh- do you think we're going to see another one of those, or do you so, think they've kind was, of done? Do you think they I was going
1: to touch on it. So there isn't another book to go on from source material. My my partner said this that Suzanne Collins did this book, this prequel book, and there isn't another one to go by. But Again, another spoiler. Um, I don't think the Lucy Grey or Rachel Ziegler's character would be in the second one. Mm-hmm. Just the way the story ends. That's not a spoiler. That's not me telling her that a character gets killed or whatever happens.
0: Yeah, um, no, no. Felt like-
1: from the end of that, I don't think... The, the whole point of Corey Elena Snow is that I don't think she will be in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, And maybe that's a good thing because it would be... You know, it would just allow us yeah. to uh, explore I, his character a little bit more.
0: But, yeah, yeah, it sounds like maybe they need to do sort of a bit of a Better Call Saul type thing where, like, you've got this character, and if you do it right, maybe you can tell an interesting story of how they get from where they are to where we saw them in the, in, in the other the other stories, the way we knew what Saul was like in Breaking Bad, but it was interesting to see how he got there in the Better Call Saul prequel show. Yeah. so i'll start some start with a couple of things I actually went to see at the cinema, uh, as I mentioned when we did the bucket list cinema back in I think November, I had Amadeus on my on my bucket list and I actually found a showing of it in London and went to see it so between Christmas and New Year, I was able to go and see Amadeus at the prince Charles cinema lovely thirty five millimeter print um uh, at the the prince charles cinema of which of which I am a member but anyone anyone can go and buy tickets there um absolutely loved it um i was right i love i love telling myself i was right i was right that it was something you should go and see at the cinema not just for the spectacle right but on the big screen you see so much more of what f Murray abraham's doing in his performance he's brilliant you kind of forget and some of the other actors well you forget sometimes maybe that milos forman was famous for having this really sort of spiky acerbic sense of humor he was really good at kind of cutting through like especially like pompous organizations because one of his most famous films, probably the reason he had to leave Czechoslovakia back in the day, was um the fireman's ball, which um, although it was highly metaphorical and he could deny any political point, it was obviously taking the piss out of how ridiculous the regime was. And sometimes that's the most powerful way to criticize a a bad regime like like communism or something by just showing up how absurd it is. And he had a wonderful eye for the absurd, which you see in this. There's some brilliant stuff. Look, just like at the beginning where um uh the guy, he, Salieri, played by Beth Homes, like playing the piano and saying, oh, do you remember this? This is one of mine. Everybody loved it, guys. I don't remember it. And he plays his other tunes. Oh, I remember that. That's lovely. I didn't know that was one of yours. He goes, no, it was Mozart's. And just the look on his face when he says it up on the big screen is fantastic. And also with an audience the. You know, it was getting laughs when it was meant to get laughs, and you get this hush when the story turns dark. It was the director's cut, so you get, like, the full three-hour version. Absolutely wonderful. They show Amadeus fairly regularly, so if you can get to the Prince Charles Cinema in London, go and see it. It's fucking fantastic. Um, of actual new films, I went to see sort of my big cinema screen showing. uh uh, just before Christmas, was The Three Musketeers, My Lady. Um, this was the second part of The Three Musketeers story. I'd obviously seen the first one, uh, D'Artagnan over the Year, and loved it. Um, I thought it was really interesting what the the listener's review was about it, because I think I, I kind of agree. I thought it was absolutely terrific. It's not quite a sort of wall-to-wall action as the first part, which is everyone who's done that, everyone who's actually tried to do more of The Three Musketeers story rather than just that first bit with the Queen's Diamonds, they find that with the second bit, because it does story and revelations come about. So you can't just have people, you know, swinging off ropes and and sword fighting. You have to actually tell some of the story. But it was still really good. It was really absorbing, compelling. Um, So while the pace dropped off a bit compared to the first one, it was still really, really good. Eva Green's excellent as my lady. She really did it. Um, like the first one, they've got the tone exactly right. Um, you know, it's not just that this is really the only big French production of Three Musketeers ever, so you get to see it in France, French countryside, all the French palaces and all of that. Um, they've managed to balance that swashbuckly tone with... You know how these films, right? You're not meant to take it super seriously, right? Because it's an adventure story about... The the musketeers but it's got to be serious enough that if something bad happens in the film it's like oh shit that's bad and that was the one downside i think of the 70s version with oliver reed and and michael york that the whole tone of it was so much of like almost like a parody like they were taking the piss out of this old-fashioned type film um that when the story does take a bit of a dark turn you're like "Are, are we still meant to be taking this like seriously now whereas this because they'd got the tone right all the way through that it's fun and it's exciting but the events are serious it was brilliant you know there's assassination attempts on the king of france there's you know who do you trust who, you know what's going on in the background absolutely fantastic stuff and despite what the other person said about it, because this hasn't been all that successful at the box office apparently maybe we'll never get any more of these films it finished on a cliffhanger and we could get more we could get a third part to the film which would be great because uh, The Three Musketeers is such an epic book that to actually get this part of the story as well, you know, this final part would be amazing. But even if it's just these two, it was great stuff. It's great to see someone do, because this is a swashbuckling, I guess this is a blockbuster, certainly by by French standards, this is a blockbuster. And it's like, it doesn't, you know, I know it's not a new story. Three Musketeers has been done loads of times, but it was really great to see something that actually looked really fresh and exciting on the screen. Um, So I thought it was terrific. Absolutely loved it. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, so that, that was me rounding off my my cinema watching uh, for 2023. Um, I also just recently watched, I think this is on Netflix. It's either on Netflix or Amazon Prime, The Burial, with um, Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones. Have you heard about this? No. This is like a courtroom drama based on a true story, right? So some of it's like fairly standard stuff. It's like, here's a case... Tom Lee Jones is the old guy who's been wronged. He needs someone who who can really take the case on for him. He hasn't got a lot of money and he manages to convince Jamie Foxx's successful lawyer, but he's also interested in raising his profile, that this will be like a great case for him to kind of take forward. And he's such a colourful lawyer. He's sort of grandstanding and gets the media involved and all that sort of thing and goes for it. And it's really just an excuse for Jamie Foxx and Tom Lee Jones to have a bunch of chemistry together. Um it's it's pretty well done it's much better than your average straight to streaming film the idea is is that uh Tommy Lee Jones is this small insurance business who is looking to um sell up really but he wants to sell up in a way that's going to leave some money for his family and he get basically gets ripped off by this big insurance company and wants to take them to court and then there more and more revela- revelations come out that make Jamie Foxx interested in doing the case Great fun. I mean, you have to like courtroom dramas because it, because it's just a courtroom drama, right? You get the big scenes. You get the judge saying, careful now, counselor. You get all of the bits that you want from a courtroom drama. If you like courtroom dramas and Jamie Fox and Tony Jones great fun together. You could, they have this great report. It's great stuff, but like. For what it is, it's it much better than your average straight to streaming film. I don't think it would have troubled the cinema as, but it's perfectly good fun. The only thing I'd say about it is that over the course of the story, it starts to raise some issues about some really bad stuff this insurance company was doing, like in real life. Now the film's very much on the side of the good guys, and in real life, Tommy Lee Jones's character with the money that you know he got out of this case, I don't want to spoil too much, but um, he sort of. Started donating and doing some really big stuff for black causes. He, you know, he was always a decent guy about stuff like that refused, when he was the mayor of a small town, refused to let the KKK have a march. So it's not that it doesn't kind of care about that stuff, but I just felt like in order to have a movie where Tommy Lee Jones and Jamie Foxx have lots of chemistry, they spend more time on that and less time. On some really bad shit, this insurance company was doing in poor black communities, like exploiting people, charging people 10 times the true price for all the, the coffins and everything at the you know worst times in people's lives, because these were poor communities that had no choice. they'd priced everyone else out of the market. It was like maybe a documentary follow-up would be good now that this film's raised the profile. I mean, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this kind of Mr. Bates versus the post office um, stuff on ITV lately.
1: Uh, Yeah, sort of, just because it's been in the British news, yeah. Yeah,
0: but I mean that's been reported on in newspapers and in documentaries for years and years and some people paid attention but it never, you know it was really hard to get any traction but showing this as a drama with good actors portraying the reality of it has really got people some traction and got people kind of interested so maybe there's a case to be said that you have to have the drama because that does get people watching, oh Jamie Jamie Lee Fox Tommy Lee Jones, but I think someone should do a documentary that goes into more detail on some of the underlying shit this insurance company's doing because it's an absolute tale of utter corporate fucking misconduct. Um, overall, decent film. If you like a courtroom drama, this is a perfectly decent couple of hours. Yeah, decent. Um, and look, Jamie Fox, Tommy Jones, great fun. You know, just, just it's like, uh, can they have another scene together, please? That kind of thing. They're just, they're just great. Um, I also watched uh, Rebel Moon Part One, whatever it's called. A Child of Bloody uh, the fucking Sorcerer's Stone or whatever, because it's ripping off everything else. Why not rip off Harry Potter? Um, you've not seen this yet, have you? Don't think I will, so you can spoil it everyone. It is absolute dog shit. It's fucking dreadful. Yes, good. So the the background to this was that Zack Snyder went to Lucasfilm or Disney or whoever owns the rights these days and said, I'd love to do a film set in the Star Wars type universe but like off to the side. I don't want it to be about the main characters. I don't want it to be any Jedi's. I don't want it to be part of the main battle between the the dark side versus the good side necessarily. I just want it to be uh, like a side saga within the Star Wars universe. Not in itself a bad thing, but for whatever reason, um, uh, Disney didn't go for it. Now, Disney might not have gone for it because they... Their judgment is you know, suspect. They might not have liked Zack Snyder's ideas, and I would forgive them for that, seeing what he actually ended up doing. But as it happened, they turned down Zack Snyder's suggestion for him to do his like version of Star Wars, you know, a Star Wars, a Star Wars story as it was. So he decided to go and do his own thing. So basically what he's done, he's done something which is so blatantly linked to Star Wars, but with all the names changed, that it looks like a fucking own brand knockoff of Star Wars. I mean, he's got a character, which is, they're swords with like lasers on them. It's obviously a fucking lightsaber. It's a fucking lightsaber, right? Although she's not a Jedi. And it's just like, and again, he's also said, oh, I know, let's do Seven Samurai only sci-fi. Yeah, because no one's done that before, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's so unoriginal. I mean, Seven Samurai has been done so many different ways. It's been done as a fucking Pixar film. You know, it's been done as like a bug's life. It's grasshoppers versus ants. It's like none of it is new. Fucking none of it is new. It wasn't that new when The Magnificent Seven did a Western version. It wasn't all that new when um, Kurosawa did it because he was like riffing on samurai movies and the Westerns he'd watched when he was a kid. So to be still doing that fucking storyline now. And the whole thing is just like, that's a shit version of star wars that's a shit version of this that's a shit version of that it's you know you get a little bit of like here's some slow motion while someone jumps over a thing the storyline does not work at all it's so slow you barely get to the end and go all right so if you establish these characters and it's got this thing right if you take all this trouble to establish these characters and then some of them start dying in a big battle you have to have got the audience to actually care about those characters because if someone gets killed you're like well I don't know. Who's this person? Do you know what I mean? And absolutely, Charlie Hunnam's Northern Ireland accent is inexplicable. Hoity-toity. One, because it's shit. And two, because this is a galaxy far, far away. The, I, the Celtic diaspora doesn't fucking extend that far, right? What? <laughs> why has he got a Northern Ireland accent? He can't do it. So why do it? Do you know what I mean? Because it's Charlie Harden, man. I think he doesn't realise what his own fucking accent is. <laughs> no, I've, I've seen him do a shit job of his own accent, so I wasn't surprised he didn't do a very good job of this one. It's just it's just not very good. I mean, it's, it's another... It, alongside the creator, I mean, 2023 will be the year that they gave money to make sci-fi films to people that they shouldn't have fucking given it to. And he's going to do another one, and it's just fucking hell, man. I mean, I don't think he's an actually incompetent film director, but he can't write, okay? And uh, he's obviously not very good at picking his projects either because once once Star Wars don't want you to do a movie in a universe, man. If you still want to do a sci-fi, you've got to do something different. This is so obviously a rip-off of Star Wars. It's fucking crap. Do you know
1: what's worrying is that if Star Wars don't want you to make a Star Wars, when Star Wars always want to make Star Wars because Star Wars makes money because it's Star Wars, I hear Star Wars quite a lot there. Yeah. like They'd make a fucking Star Wars film about fucking you know Adolf Hitler being a Sith because it would make a fucking billion dollars. So if they don't want you to make a film, then even then with all their misjudgments, judgments must be onto something.
0: Yeah. And look, there, there, there has been a discussion about whether they should have used the, like the star Wars extended universe. Cause people have written books and done comic books and stuff over the years, expanding star Wars out with all sorts of stuff going on. Um, but it's like, even then you need a better story than this man, because I think people were getting tired. It's like in the start, in the, in the Skywalker saga films, Another another Death Star, really? Do you know what I mean? It's like back, you know, yeah, it's like come on, do something fucking new. And this is really so lacking in freshness. It's absolutely fucking really really bloody awful. Um, so yes, I don't I don't recommend it. I mean, I, I've got nothing against Sofia Boutella. I, I, that what's his name? The guy with the cheekbones that was in um, Deadpool as the bad guy. Um, Ed Screen Ed Screen he's alright but the minute he walks on you go bad guy do you know what I mean it's just like there's nothing that. that they, they, here's the level that it's called right it's not the Empire right it's the Imperium it's like fuck
1: oh, off you've, just, you've
0: been told you can't make Star Wars so you've just made if they've oh. literally they've literally gone I can't make head and shoulders so I'm going to make shoulders and heads and I'm going to make the bottle the same colour it's fucking rubbish
1: basically they've done what Aldi and Lidl. did <laughs>
0: Yeah, except at least the quality of the Aldi product is actually good for the money. Do you know what I mean? This is actually crap.
1: They don't sell penguin bars, they sell seal bars. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: But, Yeah, so, and the other thing I caught up with, although it's not really that new, it came out towards the end of 2023. It it was a film that was much talked about last year, so I thought I would watch uh, Saltburn, because it's available to watch on Amazon Prime at the moment. This
1: talk is massive! (laughs) 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 yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. that's the only thing I've seen about absolutely
0: yeah definitely he's up there with he's got an absolute sausage that's right yeah they had to film that uh, they had to film that film in a massive stately home because there wouldn't be room for him and his cock in a three bedroom house Um, (laughs) uh, it's so I find Emerald Fennel to be an interesting director but that's two films in a row now where she hasn't managed to pull off the ending uh pardon the pun Um, (laughs) it's uh, she she sets up very very interesting ideas for films and I know some of this is relatively seen before because she was actually although she wasn't kind of she she kind of denied that it's a talented Mr. Ripley storyline there is an element of that in Barry Kjogan's character and the idea of, you know, Brideshead Revisited and I think the go between the idea of shenanigans in a, in a, a stately home that show up how kind of weird and awful, the very, very rich aristocratic families are. Right. So, it's always going to look a little bit like stuff you've seen before but it's, a, it's an interesting idea it's a very very interesting idea and then you get about an hour and 40 minutes in and you see there's another half an hour to go and you just go this isn't a two hour ten minute film you are nearly done here What what's going on and it takes this big left turn at the end, and you go, uh, and it drags, it drags out an ending that really should have been five minutes. It's, it's, it's another film which I think, sadly, has been kind of let down by an implausible ending. And given, she, given that she's the one writing the film, she's got no one to blame but herself. Um, what was the one that she did before that didn't end properly? A promising Young Woman. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. That's a, look, that's a really good idea for a film. And uh Carey Mulligan's really good in it and it sets the story up really, really well. And then at the end you go, Oh, you fucked it. Right at the very end, she lets it down. Um I don't want to spoil it, but you just get some like it's one the ending of, of Promising a Woman is like five minutes more thought, you'd have avoided that that ending that you've suffered. That you know, that the, the main character gets into a situation that you just think, you know, "Oh, that's you know, it's just and and this time you just think she has this big ending that just it's it it starts to really stretch the bounds of credulity, and you just think, ah, oh, you've let you've you, the ending does let down what was otherwise an interesting film. Like, Barry Keoghan is a terrifically watchable actor, clothed or unclothed. Jacob Elordi does a nice job as like the um, the posh son from a posh family who everybody loves. Although I would say. You don't get much insight into his character. Maybe that's the point that there's not that much to him, but it was like, you know, Rosamund Pike is terrific. Uh, uh, Richard E. Grant's really good. Lots of interesting characters. You get that whole thing. Basically, the, the setup is, is that he comes from like a, a modest average background, like, like you and me ends up at Oxford where everybody's really posh and feels like he doesn't fit in. What does he try and do to fit in? What happens when he befriends a really posh guy? interesting idea barry keoghan part of the problem is barry keoghan is like 30 trying to play like a 19 20 year old he doesn't quite look young enough and also you don't cast barry keoghan in that role if there's not something more bubbling under the surface of the character do you know what i mean it's like of course barry keoghan's that guy do you know what i mean because barry keoghan's really good at playing that guy do you know what i mean that guy where there's something something funny or strange going to turn up about him because he's so good at playing that. But there's no surprises once you cast him. It's like, cast Jack Nicholson as the main guy in The Shining. Yeah, he's going to try and kill his family with an axe. You know what I mean? It's kind of... There's so there's a lot of things to like about the film, but if you are going to watch it, expect to be disappointed by the ending, is what I would say. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it, so that's me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this yeah. doesn't seem my thing. No. Those are the new films or, or recent or notable films that we watched. Um, we always close Double Real Monthly with some resolutions. Now, have you had some time to, do, yes. to think of a resolution for 2024? Yes. You sound excited. That makes me excited. Only Tell me what's going on. in
1: July of last year, this director decided to make their 12th film. So we're doing the Year of the Nolan.
0: Excellent. You're doing Christopher Nolan
1: yes i don't know how i'm gonna do it yet um for this month it can be oppenheimer or i can just do two next month if we come up if we have a look we kind of go to the drawing room and have a little discussion i don't mind what we would do i have watched oppenheimer this year recently but if you wanted to do it and like or if we decided on a way of doing it of go by imdb rating or box office success and then it'd start with probably the following and then insomnia then we can do it that way um or I can just give myself a month and
0: I can do two next month. I don't mind. Um, I will leave it up to you, mate. If you want to just talk about Oppenheimer because you've watched it recently and give me your thoughts and then do another 11 films, that's fine. If you wanted to take it away and think of a way of framing the films like chronological order or anything else like that, it's up to you. What would you, what would you rather do? Would you rather take some time and, and, and package it up and start next month?
1: Yes. Purely because I don't think it's right to start on one of his probably top five films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably best to probably do it in a of what I think I'm going to enjoy, so I'll probably start with the two that I haven't seen or haven't seen for a while, and that would be Insomnia and the following. I've not seen the following and I've not seen Insomnia either the whole way through or for a while.
0: Yeah, I I was thinking about watching Insomnia because I remember liking it, and it's been so long, and I wonder what I would think of it watching it again now. That's that's an interesting, uh, yeah. Let's let's do that, mate. I mean, it worked quite well last uh, last year when you sort of did two to begin with. I'm sure I'm movie, sure yeah. we can fit that in. So you decide how you want to package those films up and and, and build a theme around it. That's a lovely teaser. So You're going to do all twelve of Christopher Nolan films through um uh through the year 2024, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know what we can call it. It's not going to be as funny as Legal page of Consent. I don't think we'll come up with something.
0: Yeah, so you can do that. and Yeah, it'd be interesting because then you'll be, that means you'll be re-watching Dunkirk and Tenet, which might tell you something about how you feel about them. Or... I might not because I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, see so, yeah, so how it goes. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, I, I, yeah so you've got, we will you will unveil sort of the how you're going to package and structure that that project up uh, next month and give us two films so that's something to really look forward to yeah Sure. so I was I was looking to do a, a, a resolution of my own a 12-month project where each month I watch a film and really it was a case of what I was going to do and I did think for a bit about Hitchcock films um and I just thought you know I've that, that I've done quite a few now of like directors that have been around a long time and it's just a retrospective on the films and there's a good chance that everyone's seen all of their films and everything else. So I thought, I'll still probably do that one day. I would you know, no plans to kind of can the the, the podcast anytime soon. So that might be another year long project, another time. What I decided to do this time was the other um, idea that I had. And, And it came down very simply to the fact that I'm conscious that I've maybe not seen nearly as many films directed by women as I have seen films directed by men. And, you know, I think part of that is that there are a lot more films directed by men than by women. And I think part of that is that I do tend to watch kind of genre films. Now, I don't care who's directed these films. I mean, I, you know, when I saw Point Break and or heard about Point Break, saw a few clips, when that looks amazing, I didn't then go, well, I hope it's been directed by a man. Do you know what I mean? I just went, oh, fucking hell, i watch that. Who directs it? Catherine Bigelow. Oh, cool. But, you know, and I love Lynn Ramsey because I've seen some films of hers that, that, that I really like. Um, so here was a case of me saying, well, why don't I just, say, I'm going to watch some films by women directing. It's probably going to take me off into some genres that I'm not as accustomed to watching kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I am going to uh, do that, uh, which means I've just selected 12 films to watch um, uh, this year. Uh, One one a month, uh, just kind of in no particular order, just 12 that interest me. Uh, and what I've decided to start with is, uh, Coda. Okay. Which won best picture, uh, for 2021. It was only ever shown on Apple TV plus, didn't get a cinema release, although that wasn't that kind of out of the ordinary for 2021. Uh, although it was, there was more stuff in the cinema than, than the previous year. And I think it was one of those ones where it came as a bit of a surprise a little bit. It gathered momentum leading up to Oscar time, but, um, ended up winning best picture. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, maybe this is the film that's won best picture the way Green Book did or the way Chariots of Fire did. One of these films that it won because everybody quite liked it. And, and all the other films on the list, people either loved or had a real problem with. And it was one of those kind of consensus films. Um, you, you're aware of the story of Coda, right? Um, I know it's about someone who's deaf. That's right. Well, it's it's actually about um, Coda is uh, short for Child of Deaf Adults. Okay. Uh, The film has something of a musical theme, and Coda is a is a thing that happens in music as well. So maybe there's a bit of a double meaning in there. But it's about a teenage girl at high school, and the rest of her family's deaf. Her mum and dad and her brother were all born deaf, but by sort of you know just by coincidence, she happens to have been born hearing. So she's got this kind of weird situation where she's different from everyone in her family because she's the only one who can hear. Um, but then she feels different to everyone at school because she grows. She's grown up in such a different environment to everyone she's at school with. Um, and essentially, it is. I, I was worried a little bit. Oh, this sounds like a bit like a ward's bait. Do you know what I mean? It's like here we go. It's disability. It's uh, in fact, it's got like classic Hollywood story. It's about a girl who just wants to sing. And you can almost kind of predict what the, the the big ending of the film is going to be. It's going to be a big vocal performance, you know. Um, so I thought, well, what what am I going to make of this? And the I shouldn't I shouldn't have worried because Marley Matlin's in it. I don't know if you know Marley Matlin, but she's a, a, a an actress who is is deaf in real life. Always plays deaf characters. She won an Oscar for Best Actress for a film called Children of a Lesser God back in the day. Um, she's really good she wouldn't have done this film if it wasn't legit. She wouldn't do this film if it wasn't kind of doing justice to its subject matter. But essentially what, what it is, is that um, it's a Sean Hader, who's a relevant new director, mostly from TV. She's done episodes of shows like glow and orange is the new back. Sorry, orange is the new black. This is her second feature film. I'm not sure what the next one's going to be based on news reports. It could either be a sci-fi film or a rom-com. So, you know, anything you like um it's a like I say it's a very Hollywood storyline it's a youngster with a modest background who just wants to sing she's hoping to get a um a scholarship to a a music school the you know obviously the twist is that her family are are all deaf so you know music or being able to sing is not something in her family they do like music her dad likes gangster rap because if he turns it up loud enough he can feel the bass do you know what I mean so they appreciate music, but it's not. They don't have the same relationship to music as somebody who can hear can. She doesn't feel like she fits in at school because when she first started at school, she didn't know how to talk properly because you you learnt to speak from your parents. So she spoke like a, a deaf person and got bullied. Um, so she's a little bit shy, a little bit off to the side. She's got friends and everything, but it's not the same. Um, her family, are, are, are run a fishing boat. So you get some really nice shots of them at sea. The opening shot of the film is like the horizon at sea. So I thought, well, I like you already. That's a nice bit of filmmaking. Um, it's solid stuff. I mean, it's a family drama with a lot of emotion about how tough it is to be deaf, but it, it doesn't overdo it. It does it well. It's got a nice tone. It's solid. It doesn't take, it, it, it doesn't make the whole thing seem like really kind of light and fluffy, but it doesn't do like, um, sort of uh misery tourism either it's a it's it's about their lives it's about real people and how they got on with each other take the piss out of each other um marley martin's the mum is really good the dad troy hutzer who won um a supporting actor they're really good as well There's this is really funny bit where they've got um i think they call it jock itch or something or, or something in in america it's when damp has got into you and it makes your private parts itch because they're on a boat all the time and it's wet Right, and and they have to bring their daughter to interpret. So she's sitting there, absolutely dying, have to interpret sign language to the doctor to explain to them why their why their private parts are itching. And then and then the doctor says they've got to not engage any sexual contact for two weeks. And she's just got a head in her hands going, "This is awful." So as well as like some of her own challenges and tribulations, you have got some really sort of funny scenes as well that make you feel like this person either knows about or know or has spoken to people who know about just the day-to-day life of of the people that she's telling the story of and it's just it's just really solid stuff it's really solid filmmaking you you might think it was purposely purposely constructed as awards bait but when I watched it I felt like it while it played it fairly safe you know I just want to sing let's have a big recital where she has a lovely singing voice at the end Um, it's just a really solidly well done film uh, it does a nice job of everything. It won Oscars for all three of its nominations: Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Supporting Actor. Um, it's a remake of a French language film, but it does a nice job of it. I wouldn't say Sean Heder has a, an obvious style as a director. I think a lot, a lot of people from come, who come from TV they're just there to serve the material. Do you know what I mean? They get jobs because if you can direct an episode of a TV show and get like an hour of footage from like a week's filming. Then you can go on a, on a film set and make a two hour film in with with four weeks filming. Do you know what I mean? And she does a solid job. Um, I I don't know what her style is. Maybe if she makes two or three more films, we'll see. But shan Hitt does a nice job directing it. It's well acted. It's well made. Um, all the deaf characters are played by people who are really deaf, so you don't get any of that kind of. You know, sometimes you get like a, an actor kind of pretending to have a disability and it all gets a little bit, okay, let, let's not overdo it for you know your awards-paid performance. This is just kind of real and solid and well done and funny. And at the end of it, I kind of felt like I knew something a bit about the lives of the people who'd watched it. Um, the lead actress, the guy who plays the teenage girl is Amelia Jones. She's the daughter of Alad Jones. You know, the Welsh singer. This is before your time. You, you know, you know the snowman that's on at Christmas every year. Woo-hoo. Well, he had a number one hit single back in like nineteen eighty five with "Walking in the Air" when he was a choir boy, and he presents the one show in Country File now. His daughter, who's who's English basically, I guess half half Welsh because you know because he's Welsh, um, plays an American high school kid. You'd never believe she wasn't American. It's not just the accent is accurate; she actually feels like a girl who, who goes to an American school. Honestly, the whole thing's absolutely spot on, uh, and you get some stuff about you know the, the hard daily life you know working on a fishing boat which you know i respond to because of some of my family background nice solid piece of work a, a well well worth watching very watchable decent film i don't think it was the best film of that year cuz i think the last year was the best film of that year but it's a very good film and i was i'm very pleased that that, that everyone who was involved with this film has done well well out of it because they all did a nice job and fair play to them um and i guess that what 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 has this project done for me in terms of choosing this film? I probably might not have bothered too much to watch this film if I hadn't said, Oh, I'm going to watch 12 films by female directors. Not because I'm not interested in this, this woman, woman director in particular. It's just like, that felt like one of those movies. Do you know what I mean? One of those movies that wins an award and no one will remember in 20 years time. And I'm glad I did watch it because it's a really, it's a really good solid piece of filmmaking and and I'm glad I saw it. Um, the other the other films that we're going to see over time, I think maybe might be a bit more educational for me in terms of finding out about women directors. One of the films I'm going to be doing later in, in the year is going to be Ida um, Lupino's The Hitchhiker, where a, a woman who'd been an actress, Ida Lupino, directed a movie in 1953. Finding out about her experiences getting to direct a film back then, I think is going to be very interesting. I'm looking at some Greta Gerwig. I'm looking at... Um, uh amara sante's bell um you know there's the a lynn ramsey film that i'm not seen them i'm going to go and watch but this i think this was a good sort of good opener for me good sort of warm-up and it's just in the spirit of i mean what's this going to tell me about women directors in general these are all 12 different female directors who all have their own style i think it's just a chance to see some films i'm not seeing you know yeah. uh but this was solid next month i'm going to do selma Directed by Ava DuVernay. I think, um, I'm hoping to, you know, enjoy the whole David Yellowway thing. I kind of ignored that one because it didn't have the real Martin Luther King speeches in it. I wasn't sure if I was going to get on with that. Um, but yeah, that's another one that I'm going to, I'm going to pick up on next month. But this month's entry and the opening entry in my 2024 uh, Women Directors Project has been Coda. And I, I think I can call that a, a recommendation. As I always do i'm I have an impromptu top ten inspired by this film again, pretty simple one, pretty straightforward uh films featuring deaf characters. This is just ten films that I thought were good that one way or another involved uh deafness or a deaf character in 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 a good way. Um, I didn't include See No Evil, Hear No Evil um, with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor because while I got a soft spot for it, it's not really done in very good taste in its portrayal of deafness and blindness so I didn't put that on um, but these are my 10. A Quiet Place, you could chuck in A Quiet Place Part 2 because it has it has similar stuff and it's also a good film. Uh, Children of a Lesser God which I mentioned, Four Weddings and a Funeral because I think it's got some nice stuff with Hugh Grant's deaf brother, um, Creed 3 I thought treated deafness really well, Uh, Sound of Metal uh, Nashville There Will Be Blood Suspect Looking for Mr. Goodbar and Bangkok Dangerous that's the original 1999 version not the Nick Cage remake um these all portray deafness to different extents, but I think those are all kind of films that are worth watching. And, you know, I'm not the person who's qualified to say whether these are the best portrayals of deafness, but I thought they were good films and I just thought it was a nice showcase. Honourable mention to Mr. Holland's opus, just for sentimental reasons, I remember watching that um, just after you were born and there's a bit where Richard Dreyfus sings and signs to his deaf son, which... Um, had an effect on me but i wouldn't say it was as good as the films that i've got on this list here so that's my impromptu top top 10 to go with the film uh, and that's coda that's uh and as i say it will be selma next month um anything else to add to the double room month before we close off mate
1: no i think we're good my man
0: lovely thank you very much That's all for the latest edition of Double Reel Monthly. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The music was Mistake the
1: Gateway" by Kevin MacLeod.
0: The latest Penalty Shootout film quiz will be released shortly. Next week we'll be back with our regular features with the theme of films about films in the film industry. First up will be our classics and recommended feature where we finally get round to watching Robert Altman's The Player. Then our hidden gem where we tell you why you should get round to watching Ed Wood.
1: In the one that got away, we'll tell you about the legendary unfinished Orson Welles film, The Other Side of the Wind, and in the remake, Hate Watch, we look at the divisive Marilyn Monroe biopic, Blonde. Then a week after that, our big conversation
0: episode will be the third annual Double Reel Awards. We look forward to you joining us then. Look after yourselves in the meantime. See you on the other side.